program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD, blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Success Happens. It is so great to be with you all today, and I am so honored to have this gentleman on with us this morning. And I've seen his work and listened to him speaking, and I've heard his passionate commitment to integrity. And as you know, I've talked a lot about integrity over the last number of years. And uh, we know that if we don't have integrity in our government, in our elections, in our medical systems and care, things just don't work. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times when integrity isn't there, it's, it's a person or an individual who has abused that level of power that they are given and now we're in a situation where integrity is, is compromising you and me and our lives. And we've been in that for the last several years and probably much longer than that. We just have become aware of it. I know I have over the last couple of years. So I am honored to have with me Dr. Shiva, who is from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he has multiple degrees from MIT, and he is what I affectionately call a smarty pants and he has his doctorate in bioengineering uh, for system biology and also has a background in electrical engineering and he's an inventor so good morning and welcome to success happens dr shiva good morning jen how are you i'm just great and it's so great to have you with us and thank you so much for availing your your time on a saturday morning i wanted to start with uh, just asking you kind of a basic, broad question. Why systems? What is it about systems that you find so fascinating? Yeah, so let's begin with what is a system. The, everyone uses the word systems. And what I find fascinating about that is that, you know, I grew up as a very, very young kid having to understand systems. I grew up, you know, I, you know my parents came here when I was seven years old. In 1970, in fact, yesterday was my birthday. It's been a really Happy good birthday. Happy birthday! Yeah, yeah, it was December 2nd, and my I literally left India, uh, you know, 52 years ago on my birthday, um, and we arrived here. In those days, it used to take a long flight, multiple stops. We arrived here on December 5th, 1970. But the reason I share this is because I was fascinated as a child to understand systems because. In India, there's something called a caste system, which is where your future is determined not by your deeds, but by the birth lottery, where you're born. And America, unfortunately, appears to be becoming that more and more that way. Um, and then I also grew up in another world where my grandmother was a, uh, in a small village. She was the shaman, the healer, and she had learned ancient systems of Indian medicine. So here was a woman with no degrees who could who was essentially the village doctor. I saw her empirically use these very, very uh, incredible uh, skills that she had learned how to uh, look at someone's face, um, understand what was going on in their organ systems. And this was a whole treatise that was written in the ancient systems of Indian medicine and, and figure out the right medicine uh, for that, the right person at the right time, what we today call personalized medicine. So as a child, Jen, I wanted to understand politics, interesting enough, and medicine. 
which may seem like two disparate worlds. So when we came to the United States, I worked very hard because I knew how much America offered that I could never get in India and um, studied as much as I could also, but wasn't just a nerd, was, you know, loved athletics. And by the time I was 14, I had uh, had the opportunity to go to NYU. This was in 78 in a very interesting computer science program done by a pioneer at NYU who felt young people should know the future of software systems engineering. So I was one of those 40 kids selected. And I started working full-time while going to high school at a small medical school in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, which is one of the poorest cities in the United States. And there I was given the opportunity to work on two systems. One was understanding the sleep system, you know, how babies um, you know, how sleep affects breathing and why babies were dying in their sleep. And in those days, I applied computers to understand the biological system of sleep. And I made some interesting headway. This was before I came to MIT, by the way. You can do a lot before you even go to these big institutions. And then while I was working there, anyone who's listening over the age of 40 will remember that in most organizational systems, right, the systems of communications were either the phone system hardwired phones. We didn't have cell phones in those days. And then the inter-office mail system. If you remember the old system where every boss was always a man and he would go to his secretary and he'd dictate a letter and she would write this thing called a, a, a memo um, right. to from, remember she had a typewriter on her desk, the, the white paper, the carbon paper, the inbox, the outbox, the folders, uh, the trash can, whiteout. Um, so if you're going to hire someone, in an organization, you would attach their resume with a paper clip. You'd put to and you'd put from and you'd put uh, the subject hiring somebody. You'd sometimes CC, carbon copy, your boss or HR, BCC, maybe a higher up. And then these memos would go in these envelopes. They would go through these pneumatic tubes. I was asked to convert that entire system. This is the 1978, the electronic version. No one had ever done this before. The military hadn't done this. They were doing simple text messaging at best on mainframe computers. So I converted that entire system in 50,000 lines of code, named it email, because the operating system in those days only allowed five characters, and uh, went on to MIT. And when I was a freshman there, the president of MIT said, you know, you should copyright this because the Supreme Court wasn't recognizing patents. And I was issued the first United States copyright as a 17-year-old kid for the work I did as a 14-year-old for building the world's first email system. So why do I share all this? Well, I, as a young child, because of this country, I was, had, was given this incredible opportunity to learn medical systems, computing systems, and built the first email system before I came to MIT, to the military-industrial academic complex. Um, Isn't and my that journey, fascinating? Yeah, and, and what that really shows is that, you know, when you really look at the system of innovation, many, many innovation is in everyone's DNA, and what's unfortunately happened from a business perspective over the last 50 years is we've spread this delusion that you have to go to Silicon Valley, you have to go to MIT, you have to be a dropout from Harvard, and then you are anointed as an inventor, you know? And you have to talk a certain way, sound like you're a nerd, you know? Um, and I, I noticed this culture. Well, no, I noticed this culture at MIT. I mean, I was, you know, a center halfback, and I could program, right? Um, but the notion was you had to look a certain way and your voice needed to be squeaky and you needed to have all sorts of tics and mannerisms. And then you were considered some intelligent 
human being. And this is perpetuated because over the last 50 years, we have created these silos. You know, an artist must like look like this, and a computer person must look like this, and an athlete. And none of these people could have multiple skill sets. But um, I, I, I've always had a displeasure towards that because it's sort of going to this discriminatory caste system. But the key, the reason I wanted to share that is that what's occurred today in the world of innovation is we're creating these innovation hubs. So people pour billions of dollars over into the MIT Kendall Square area, billions of dollars into a small uh, place in Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. And then they hire certain people, look and feel a certain way, and those people are anointed as inventors. When the reality is, you know, by the way, TV was invented by a 14-year-old boy, but very similar conditions as I did, Philo Farnsworth. It took 60 years for him to get recognition because he did it outside of the bastions of the big uh, institutions of military, you know, big academia and big institutions. Email was not invented by the military. In fact, when this, I never tried to gain any PR for this. It was only 33 years later when my mom was dying in a suitcase. She had saved all the artifacts. And on uh, November 11th, the editor of Time magazine, the technology editor, wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email, still to this day the only journalist who went through all of this. And then uh, two months later, went into the Smithsonian. This is in 2012, and it created this huge controversy across the Internet because the narrative was some nerd-looking guy at Raytheon had invented what they called email, and he didn't. He invented a simple form of text messaging. Was Raytheon had conflated to email so they could get credit to present themselves as the heads of cybersecurity, when the truth is that email was invented by a 14-year-old American kid in Newark, New Jersey. So... What was fascinating was when all this vitriol came out, and people can go see it, people call me all sorts of horrible names. The four degrees at MIT didn't matter because people were convinced, you know, people would make stupid Al Gore stories that, you know, you have to go to MIT and then you have to be a nerd, but it surely couldn't have been done by a young kid outside of that. So during 20, interesting enough, during 2012 to 2016, no lawyer, I mean, it was massive defamation calling me a fraud. This curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. How dare he say that he invented email? The vitriol was phenomenal. Thousands of calls came at MIT. And I was teaching a class there, one of the most popular electives. Unlike Elizabeth Warren, I didn't charge anything for my class. I was also full-time, uh, you know, doing a, another job, running a new startup. And I had to contend with the fact that what I had hit upon the nerve was that great innovations could come outside of these major institutions of the military industrial academic complex. And that unnerved even people at MIT, because I was a darling at MIT on the front page for inventing many things, starting many businesses. But when I had to now stand the ground that a 14-year-old boy did invent email, that perturbed a lot of people, Jen. And eventually we won a major lawsuit in 2016. We filed Gawker Media, drove them to bankruptcy, and I got about a million bucks and the three defamatory articles were removed. But the the bigger issue is not just a question of who invented email, but why was there so much vitriol? And what's happened is America is more and more becoming a caste system that, you know, you have to be a Harvard dropout like Bill Gates or a Harvard dropout like Mark Zuckerberg, and then you can go invent. And so let me, let me ask you something. So this is fascinating, right, because this is really what my show is about, is this intersection between business and politics. And one drives the other. And you talked about Raytheon, which is a part of that military complex, right? Military-industrial complex. 
and of course you're no i love what you're saying because people have to really come to terms with not everything has to happen because a government or a system that's power over the people says it's what it is i you know it's interesting when i was searching you doing my homework i went onto wikipedia and they trash you terrible you know and you know they go on and talk about you know different things and slamming you and i and i think um you know, we as as listeners and consumers of information have to be discerning. We have to be able to sort it out for ourselves and read through the propaganda. And we are so propagandized now that it's really incumbent upon us to say, no, 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 I'm not buying what you're selling and, and search other sources so that we get great information. And, you know, for the listeners, Remember, I always say Google it, but really what you want to stop doing is Googling it and go to other browsers where you can get access to information that Google blocks because they're going to drive a particular narrative about somebody like Dr. Shiva because, God forbid, he would be bigger than their military complex. So um, I want to ask you about – I want to ask you about uh, – boy, there's so many directions we could go – one of the things that I'm interested in is your background and knowledge in medicine and how that impacted COVID and how, you know, what we've just been through, in other words, and your observations of what we've just been through with FDA, CDC, and Fauci, because I know you came out against Fauci. I've come out against Fauci. I used to run a medical nonprofit, which you don't know that about me, but so I have some knowledge of data and healthcare systems. So it's kind of like, okay, I knew something was bad. I knew something was wrong when the CDC was driving something through these hospitals. And we later learned about remdesivir as the hospital protocol that was killing people. And then we learned that the COVID shots were really dangerous. Now, we, a lot of us already knew, don't get the shot. But only now is that information coming out to the public that indeed we were right and the conspiracy theories were not theories. They were actually facts. So when you look at these fact checkers, and I know you've dealt with them with your work, what is your thought about the medical nonsense that we've just been through? Yeah, so I just want to, before I go there, if I may, I just want to comment on a couple of points that you made. And then I, I, mm-hmm. I want to, is that all right? Sure. Look, going back to the invention of email and going back to organizations like Wikipedia, if you go back prior to November 11th, I was a darling on Wikipedia. Okay, no one refuted anything because the invention of email story has been out there for I was called Dr. Email. Many, many things have been out there. Why did it become such a big issue? And and I want people really to listen to this, particularly the multiracial liberal aristocracy. Okay, you see, by all accord, a dark skinned Indian guy who's an immigrant should be uh, embraced by the liberal elites. And I was if you go look at the history of my tenure at MIT during 30 years, I was on the front page of MIT for inventing many, many things, uh, starting many companies. I was like one of their golden boys, won many awards there. But the instant that I said, and I stood my ground, that no, 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 I did invent email. And you're not going to take that away from me. I never wanted the credit before. But when you started calling me all these names, I had to defend myself. Now, here's what's interesting. You see, the those in power are very, very clever, particularly the liberal aristocracy of the elites, and now they're black and white and all different colors, to 
decide who belongs in what kinds of boxes. So if you are from the South, you must talk slowly and you must be a quote-unquote redneck. If you're an Indian, you must shake your head left to right and you must be a good Indian and take a good beating. You say Because most yeah. of the Indians and are listening who do come to the United States, unlike my parents who came as low-caste Indians who were fighters, most of them are actually sellouts. You look at most of the Indians who run many of the large tech companies, they actually don't like the, uh, they They still believe in the concept of free speech doesn't matter. You look at the head of who was running Twitter. So most of the Indians, unlike my parents, are very different. We are probably more akin to the American working class because we're fighters. So I was taught to fight, and that's why my parents made it here, one in a trillion chance. Most Indians who come here just want to drive around in their BMWs and want to be part, and they don't give a damn about the American ethos. And I'm saying this, there is a big caste difference among the Indians in the United States. So I wasn't one of them. So when I started standing my ground and saying, no, I did invent email, I'm not going to be a good Gandhian and walk away. I'm not a good Indian. You see, this is what perturbed those in power. And this is what perturbs people like Wikipedia, because Wikipedia are those liberal racists. Because had I been a good Indian, say, okay, I didn't invent email, you're right, you got it right, they would have been fine. But I had to fight for something larger, which was for what this country was about. This country is built by working people who had a good revolution and stood up to the imperial powers of the caste system. And because I wasn't willing to do that, people have to vilify someone like me because I'm their worst nightmare. Because guys like me should be Democrats, you know, and I'm not saying pro. By the way, I don't like either party anymore. Republicans and Democrats, they've all become one. But they have a certain widget or a certain, uh, um, you know, place that they wanted to place me. But I never forgot where I came from, Jen, working class people in New Jersey and, you know, those village people in India where I came from, everyday people. So fighting for the invention of email was no longer about me. It was about a much, much larger struggle, which is what this country was beco is becoming, that a a small set of people get anointed to be leaders and innovators and nerds, et cetera. And that's what that struggle was. So Wikipedia, anyone listening should not give one penny because they're a damn racist organization. That's what they are, because they wanted to put me in a box. So calling me a conspiracy theorist and, you know, the facts of the invention of email, it's not even a gray area. It's black and white. I wrote the 50,000 lines of code. I named it email. I have the copyright. Yeah. And so so let me ask you this. So what I hear in what you just said, which is back to this, my opening about integrity, the struggle we're in today is for truth. And people say, well, truth is relative. No, it really isn't. There's a truth. And if it's given by integrity and honesty and, and it's not given by somebody's ego or, or seeking power and control over others, then there's a truth. So there's a truth that you invented email. There's a truth that uh, you came from India and you experienced what you did and you bring that to all that you do. And I just love your story about, about the caste system because I think there's a lot to unpack there about how U.S. has become that because most people would say that's crazy. We don't have a caste system. We're free. No, America is an absolute caste and that's what's become. And this is why I believe the American working class has a huge historic duty. Out of all the working class throughout the world, the only working class 
that has left or ever had it, these Bill of Rights and the First and Second Amendments and so on, is the American worker. And when 1776 occurred, just look at it from the, the arc of human history. It was the first time a group of working-class people got the opportunity to say that they would have the First Amendment, which means speech, freedom, so they could also explore truth and they could defend themselves. Now, let me tell you why this is important. You talked about it's not only truth, uh, Jen. There's three things, and this comes back to the knowledge of systems. You see, it's truth. We call our movement Truth, Freedom, Health. That's this new system I've created, and people can go to truthfreedomhealth.com where people can understand the science of systems. Why do I give those three words? You see, when I finished my PhD work in 2007, I took a little bit of time, and I went back to India for two years, Jen, and I wanted to understand, because now I have all the credentials, so if I'm now going to go explore Eastern medicine, no one can say, oh, this is just some wacky guy trying to do snake oil, right? In fact, on the front page of MIT in 2007, they had this big article, because I'd won the Fulbright, to go back to Indian study, Eastern medicine. People are like, why does he want to go back? Four, armed with four degrees, why does he want to go back to study Eastern medicine? So when I went, and because I felt that there was something fundamental there, and the articulation of these ancient systems needed to be done. So over those two years, what I discovered was, in engineering theory, in engineering science, I'm not going to get into the details, but those engineers listening, there are nine principles that were discovered around in the 1920s, you know, in what's called control systems theory. Put it simply, there are nine fundamental elements that run every system in the universe, be it your car, your windshield wiper, anything you can have. And that became the basis of modern civilization. That's called control systems theory. But just trust me, there are these nine principles, okay? And everyone understands them. We have nice words for them. We call them words like transport, convergence, storage, input, output, etc. Well, when I went back to India and I started really studying the Indian systems of medicine, what I uncovered was that the Indian systems of medicine, which many people call the New Age movement, they call it Ayurveda, Siddha, there's these different medical systems. Unfortunately, people like Deepak Chopra, Chopra, nice guy, know him well. You know, he couldn't figure it out, so he ended up making like a guru world and guru worship. But at the end of the day, what I uncovered was that the Indian systems of medicine the rishis and the saints of over thousands of years had figured out that the body was a system, and it had these same nine principles. They just called them different words. So I was able to rediscover this and say, you know what? Their lingua franca that they used to understand the human body matches one-to-one -one with Western control systems theory. And I wrote a very nice paper on it, came back to MIT, and I taught this course, which is one of the most popular electives, as I was mentioning earlier, and that course ended up becoming Systems Health, which I've taught all over the world. We've, we've retrained medical doctors to start seeing the body as a system. In fact, we've retrained all these new age woo-woo woo -woo people who sometimes bump into some anecdotal things that work, but they're not able to explain it. So it really bridged East and West. Now, when I ran for politics, what I discovered was that these same principles show up in political systems. So give you a, a small bit of this. When you look at Three of those nine principles in engineering systems are known as transport. You may want to write this down, conversion, and storage. Transport is the aspect of the universe that's involved in movement of things, movement, transport. Conversion is that aspect of the universe that's involved in conversion of things from one form to the other. In your body, your digestive system does this. Your car engine does conversion. It takes fuel, right, and gives you locomotion. 
And then there's a third part called the structural aspects of all systems, like the, the beams in your home or your skeletal system, transport conversion storage. What I uncovered was in the Indian system, they called it Vata Pitta Kapha. Guess what I discovered, Jen? In political systems, it's freedom, truth, and health. Now, why do I say that? And this is what's so foundational to understanding, uncovering the reality of how the universe operates. Freedom, transport, the ability to move information, matter, and energy. This is why it was so powerful what took place in 1776. People said, we as people will have the ability to speak whatever we want, whenever we want. And this is why the, the founders created the U.S. Postal System, which I'll come back to, which was created so we had the infrastructure to communicate a public infrastructure, all right? But freedom was essential, no different than the transport property. With freedom, we could now explore truth. What is truth? Truth is a conversion process. You're taking all sorts of wacky ideas. You can believe, you know, I don't know, uh, some reptiles in Mars are the reason that we're getting COVID and someone else can believe it's the failure of the immune system and so on. Fine, put all those ideas out. But finally, you apply the scientific method and those crazy ideas finally get either converted to building a light bulb or a new innovation or a new discovery. And that's the process of conversion to get to truth and new innovations. You see, but without freedom, you can't get there. This is why America is a $23 billion trillion economy. And this is why my parents came here, because we had freedom, which allowed you to do great science to get great innovation. By the way, 33 businesses came out of 33,000 businesses came out of MIT, which produced annually two trillion dollars to the U.S. GDP every year. That shows the power of innovation. But when you have truth, the conversion process, when you have freedom, the transport process, you get something else. You get health and you need health, which is a structural basis, because if you're unhealthy and you don't have economic health, you don't have the wherewithal to fight for freedom. You don't have the wherewithal to explore truth. So when I put this together, after they cheated our election in Massachusetts, we created a movement called Truth, Freedom, Health. And when you go to truthfreedomhealth.com, what we tell people is that the guy who invented email now has created a different system. The system for where you can learn to liberate yourself and understand the science of systems. So those 30 years, what I learned, Jen, I've been able to distill down system science that anyone can learn it. It's like Prometheus bringing fire to the masses. The science of systems is what we all need to learn. The elites learn the science of systems. That's how they manipulate us. So if you don't, in, in the modern world, if people don't understand the science of systems, we're really screwed because they got a nuclear weapon and we have bows and arrows. Everybody, you're listening to Dr. Shiva, and I'm so appreciative that you're here. We'll be right back. The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com, a service of Holtzapel Heating and Air Conditioning. Free Talk, 930 WFMD. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Dr. Shiva. And Dr. Shiva has multiple degrees from MIT. He is a brilliant mind, and as we learned, he has... He invented email. He has made significant contributions to all of our lives. Dr. Shiva, we have so much to cover, and I think what I'd like to do is have you back and really delve into the whole medical situation, because I think that's a separate show. Right now, we've been dealing with 
elections and systems of election processes that have led us to failures and, I think, opportunities for people to, frankly, defraud the American people of their vote and their voice. One of the things that I'm interested in is your perspective on the election system, given the interactions. We know that Apple CEO right now, it's you know clear that there's interactions with them and the CCP. And you know if we have foreign interactions or interventions in our elections by people who are bad actors and are our enemies, that constitutes a national security issue. So. Big tech and government have in many ways colluded. We know that fact-checkers are a part of that liberal propaganda machine. What are your thoughts now, given your experience and, and the case that you did, uh, which you tried yourself, which is just a testimony to your brilliance, what are your thoughts about the election systems and where we are today, and how do we save our country, given the system breakdowns that we have? Right. So the system breakdown that we have, you know, in 2020, uh, as you as you referred, you know, we had a historic lawsuit where I represented myself. We had multiple victories and it got too hot for the judge and the system to handle. We were the lawsuit that in courtroom testimony, we exposed that government and big tech and collusion. We discovered in a wonderful diagram. People can go see it at winbackfreedom.com. We have this diagram which exposed the entire government. That it's not big tech. You see, everyone's been attacking big tech wrongfully without a big elephant in the room. What we discovered was that government has a portal to all the big tech companies, and we expose that in our lawsuit. Interesting enough, you know, none of the major press covered that. And even though people like Tucker Carlson, people like Glenn Greenwald were all told about it, they stayed silent on it. And then recently they talked about the DHS leaks, which is a very small piece in many ways to cover up the bigger issue that Pierre Omidyar, who is the former founder of the founder of eBay, is the one who funded the censorship infrastructure with DHS, and he's the same guy who owns the Intercept. But we'll we'll talk about that later on. But the fundamental issue is how did we uncover this? What uncovered? It got uncovered because in my own U.S. Senate election, where we were winning by a landslide, my election was stolen, and we showed it um, openly and barely. Uh, exposed the government when we went to the government and said, hey, we want the ballot images that get generated by the machines because I want a, a formal audit of them, which according to a U.S. federal law, 52 U.S.C. 20701, are supposed to be preserved. Simply put, every machine, when a paper ballot goes into it, takes a picture, that picture is what the artificial intelligence on the machine uses to calculate your vote. In Massachusetts, when we ran for office, in the hand-counted county of paper uh, where all the ballots are primarily hand counted we win by 10 points and every other county 60 40 60 40 so that's where this is long before the trump events we were the first ones exposing this we were the first ones to discover this government big tech infrastructure portal we filed our lawsuits the judge was appalled but when i did not want to simply go on twitter that was what they were trying to settle with me jen just go back on twitter you'll be the biggest lawsuit uh victory but don't um, ask for damages against, don't make the government officials personally accountable. And I was unwilling to do that. And the judge got very upset with me. And he tried to come after me, tried to, uh, for, for contempt. So, but the bottom line is this was two years ago. Had the major news media covered this, 
not concealed it, we would have had change. And one of the points, Jen, what's happening right now is people get a lot of news and they're being made helpless. But these same people who give people the quote-unquote truth, they don't cover the truth at the right time so you can affect change. So it's all become entertainment. So with the election system stuff, you know, we expose that they destroy ballot images, at least in Massachusetts. We expose the fact that there are fundamental issues. For example, the signature verification process, the work I did in Arizona, was the only piece of work the attorney general accepted. But in the middle of all this very fundamental election systems work we were starting to do painstakingly with, frankly, not getting paid anything, there was a whole other group of people, Jen, and this was unfortunate, the grifters, who started talking crazy stuff about election systems, which frankly weren't true. Some of them sold pillows off of it, sorry to say, okay? And what they did was they diverted the attention, so the election systems issue ended up becoming a quote-unquote a right-wing issue and not an American issue. And that's what's unfortunate. What we uncovered was that the signature verification process is completely flawed. We uncovered that ballot images get destroyed, and even the Department of Justice doesn't enforce 52 U.S.C. 20701, which is, by the way, a law that was passed by a Democrat majority to support audits of elections. But where we live today, getting back to our original discussion, is there are real issues that guys like me and others have to put the hard effort into uncovering. And then the grifters come along, take issues, and they make it a left-wing, right-wing issue. And this is what's unfortunate with the election system stuff. So what we've literally witnessed right now is that you have half of the country thinking if you talk about election integrity, you must be against democracy. And then the other half of the country who doesn't believe in elections and doesn't even know how to make them correct. But if you take a systems approach, there are about two or three things we can do to fix this. But I don't think people want to fix it. There are people who are just making money off talking about election integrity. They send out a lot of emails. Hold on. Let's talk about that. What are the two or three things you say we need to do to fix it? These are systems issues, by the way. Number one thing is the signature verification process. We literally, so when you go to vote, mail in, uh, mail in voting, you know, you sign your signature, right? What happens? Well, that goes to a processing center, and literally they're run by volunteers in terms of analyzing your signatures. They get about, in Arizona, about two hours of training, and you're, and basically these people have to verify is that gen gen signature so they look at your signature on a screen that was on the ballot and then they go to the dmv records and they have to make a decision within about less than 10 seconds do those signatures match these people aren't trained forensic experts if there's a question they're not sure then the signature goes through a process called curing so if you're unsure curing means that out of a million ballots that came in a certain percentage you're not sure people literally call up the person or phone them or email them and verify that. What we found in Arizona was a very small fraction of ballots were cured. And as I, what I understand is after we did our reports, they were a little more careful this time, so we, I know we had impact. But the signature verifi- verification and curing process is completely a black art. And we did two clinical, quote-unquote, clinical studies on this, a pilot study, and then we did a much more detailed study, and we showed that in Arizona, around 200,000 signatures should have been at least cured. So signature verification, number one. Number two is what we call the preservation of information, ballot images. In my own election in Massachusetts, the Secretary of State 
legal counsel was gloating. I said, where are the ballot images? Oh, we deleted them. We don't have to preserve them. Total nonsense. According to for federal elections, they have to be preserved. My view is that all ballot images, so when you go and you vote, right, it's a picture of your ballot. By the way, it doesn't have any personal information on it. My theory is that all the ballot images should be completely uh, transparent on a server. Anyone can go count the votes if they want. That's what should be done. So number two is ballot images, A, should be preserved. It should be a serious crime if you deleted them. And the ballot images should be transparent, put up on a server. Anyone can go count the votes on any time in an election. That's number two. Well, let me inter interject something. It is illegal. Yeah. They're just not holding them to account. They're not prosecuting well, we to Bill these Barr. issues. We, 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 well, well, when, when my election, we went to the U.S. attorney, they did nothing. The issue is that the enforcement of the laws is not taking place. And when you have the grifters talking crazy stuff, none of the real issues get understood. So I almost feel I was in the middle of this. We were the pioneers who did the hard work. The grifters came along and never addressed it. I'm sorry, Trump didn't even address it. He made a half a billion dollars, and I, I met with him multiple times. He never addressed these fundamental issues. They were more interested in sending out emails and making money of talking about election systems. So I have really, right, let's really talk about, Let's talk about mail-in ballots. Let's talk about voter ID and mail-in ballots. So the mail-in ballots we know, and I'm going to need to take a break in just a minute, but I want your thoughts on mail-in ballots because back to your notion about uh, signature verification, when those mail-in ballots come in, they sort them, they throw away the envelope, so you now can't verify later to audit. What are your thoughts? Well, well, what they do is when the envelope comes in, I, I, different people they, they scan the envelopes. Okay, they image them, and then the. By the way, all data in connection with the federal election should be preserved for 22 months. If they're doing that, that's a violation of federal law. But the images are what they use. But the signature verification. My point is, it's not forensic signature people are doing it. It's literally they hire volunteers. They give them two hours of training. Right. This is what's going on. So the signature verification process is absolutely flawed. The chain of custody and the preservation of data is not being done at the high levels that you would do. You know, you'd run a, you know, a real systems process, whether you're building an airplane or, uh, you know, in anything that you follow in, in logistics. So that's flawed. And the other process is the verification of is this this person, you know, what, the voter ID and who is the person. But there, if we look at these three things, they're going to solve pretty much a ton of problems. But if you notice in the entire election system stuff, these three were frankly, you know, submerged with all the crazy stuff. And so when the crazy stuff comes out, one wing of the establishment attacks the other wing and nothing gets resolved. Well, so, I agree with I mean, one thing that you're saying, and, and I think we've said it many times here on the show, is that we this is no longer and people really need to get past the liberal it, 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 Republican exactly. it's not a left -right uh, divide issue. because I mean I was just Facebook texting with somebody who's just on the opposite end of things but it's like why are you carrying the water for the DOJ this guy's an attorney you know why are you protecting them from doing their job 
So there's there's a system of, if you will, the good guys versus the bad guys. It's really not a party issue anymore. I mean, I've been calling for Ditch Mitch for a while now with McConnell. He just needs to go, and he's a Republican. So I, I agree with you on the whole party system. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, so first of all, thank you, Dr. Shiva. Please stay on the line. I want to thank everybody right. for listening. Please share this podcast. This is incredible information to anybody who's working on voter integrity in, in Maryland or across the country. It's important information for this to get out. But also, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you like it, share it, give us a comment, uh, give us a great rating. We, we'd appreciate that. All right, everybody stand by. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Dr. Shiva, and this has just been a fantastic conversation. And if we think about everything we do in life, there's a cause and effect, there's an interaction between different people or, or, or even organizations. So these systems really run our lives in so many ways, and we don't even realize we're part of systems throughout our lives. So I want to see if we have on the line our guest uh, to join us. Walter Charlton, are you there? I am here. Okay, good morning. And uh, I believe you have an announcement relating to elections. So Walter Charlton is my father. He's an attorney admitted to the Supreme Court, and he has a case right now uh, that is in Maryland and is spreading nationally in a multi-jurisdictional class action lawsuit. Uh, Dad, would you like to share your information, please? I will, but before I start, I just have to say that it, Dr. Shiva is a tough act to follow. I, I, I certainly endorse every single thing he said. And before I start, I want to say that I are a system man also, and I was anointed as such by a guy named Gunderson back about 1970. So uh, I, wonderful. everything... Everything he says is right, and most of the things you hear attorneys say are wrong. And um, I'm a CPA, which is where my heart is. I just got to be a lawyer late. Now, we took an approach. I just wanted to make an announcement. We have uncovered a whole bunch of the various kinds of frauds you're talking about, and uh we are have reduced this because of my luck in being an attorney, reduced it to a form that is uh, like acceptable by the courts that they cannot deny it. And hopefully we get through some through some of the muck and mire that you had to deal with. Uh, we are t we filed this as a RICO case. We have also said that we're going to make it multi-district litigation because from our investigations, which piggyback on yours and others uh, for some years, like started in way back in at, at least 2016 and maybe before. In any case, we this goes into a multi-district litigation, and we are going to file such a motion post-haste. And I I really don't want to say any more than that uh, in uh, because all of the things you talk about have to be addressed. You have something you wanted to share. There was an announcement you wanted to make. I just wanted 
people to know that this is going into multi-district litigation, and we have actual evidence of torquing of the systems online in Maryland that cannot be denied. This has been discovered by a group of engineers with credentials and not quite like Dr. Shiva's, but almost edging up on him. And um, it, it, is, it, it just proves that basically everything we've been told about the non-interference is false and provably such. We will be announcing that by a group of whistleblowers, a small group of whistleblowers, and in filing with the court, and, and they are, because all of this will probably be initially filed under seal, this will be filed uh, with the details held secret, probably in the first of the week. Okay, very good. Well, listen, thank you so much for calling in and sharing this update. I appreciate it. It's important for people to understand that the work continues. They just arrested a couple of people. People are being arrested. It's slow. It's not as quickly as we would like because we're seeing the damage of our country happening before our very eyes because of election fraud. Uh, Thank you, Walter. We'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, Yeah, Jen, one of the things that I think to be brief, you know, when we filed our lawsuit in Massachusetts and had a number of victories and we exposed the government relation to big tech, you have to understand I was a U.S. Senate candidate. So think about what took place. The United States government deplatformed a U.S. Senate candidate who was running through Twitter. Now, one of the important things, everyone's all excited about Musk. Musk knows that Twitter has a direct portal to government. And I haven't heard one peep out of him to talk about that. Now, we just filed, we, we began our lawsuit against SIS and DHS. So we're going right at the belly of the beast right now. We're going after, so I just started the process to sue the United States government, particularly SIS and DHS, because it's much even bigger than Massachusetts, and people should keep an eye on that. But everyone who's, don't be, uh, uh, you know, reductionist in thinking that Elon Musk is going to solve this problem. And I, I think this is what happens. Everyone stops. Uh, starts outsourcing their destiny to others. We have to build a bottoms-up movement because the fundamental issues of what we're facing right now are not going to be done by politicians. They're not going to be done by entertainers. They're not going to be done by billionaires. They're going to be done by everyday people. And so that's why I recommend we take a systems approach. I recommend people take advantage of the gift that we put together, truthfreedomhealth.com, where people can actually start learning a systems approach. But when it comes to the election issue, we have to go at the heart of it that if you look at what occurred in a historic way to our election, a U.S. Senate candidate was not deplatformed by Twitter. It was by government. That's what actually occurred, and we have it in courtroom testimony. And what's fascinating is that entire court case, we had to get it out to hundreds of millions of people through our own channels. And none of the mainstream media will touch it, will cover it, either because they don't want us to get the views, either they don't want us to be the heroes exposing it, And when they do expose it, Jen, they expose just a little bit of it, like the Intercept guys. And those guys are actually plagiarists. They expose a little piece of it, but the Intercept is owned by Pierre Omidyar, founded by him, I'm sorry to be specific, and funded by them. And he's the one who actually funded the censorship infrastructure at SISA and DHS. So let me back up for a second, because I think what you're saying is 
and I've said this for a couple of years, and I'm in media, right? I'm a communicator. It's a limited hangout. What, yeah. Yeah. What I what I see is the collusion between big tech, government, and media, and that trifecta has robbed yeah. us of our power, our voice. And I love what you're saying about it's we can't outsource it anymore. And I think people really got that message. Like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's what my mentor taught me. If it's going to be, yeah. it's up to me. No one else is coming. You're the one. So we, you know, that, that means teachers and, you know, political scientists and business owners and coffee shop owners and so forth. Everybody in our society needs to get interested and activated to deal with this.